0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the very first few pages, Genesis chapter 1. And the guys have some Bibles. They're going to make their way to the back. If you need a Bible, just get their attention. It's a gift. We want everybody to own a copy of God's Word. So take one of those, keep it, bring it back with you each week as we look at Scripture together each Lord's Day. Now, today is a Mother's Day-themed message and then we will get back to our series in the Book of Acts over the next couple of weeks, but it's going to be choppy over the next several because at the end of this month on May the 29th, we have a guest speaker, our missionary, uh, Jeremy Roy, and his family are going to be here. I will be out of town that prior week, so it's good that we have that, uh, a guest speaker coming for several reasons. And then uh, in June, we have Father's Day. We'll have a Father's Day-themed message on the 19th, on the 26th. We also have uh, a missionary coming, Chris Anderson, who's going to be with us. So we'll fit uh, where we are in the book of Acts in between those and then get back to it in a systematic fashion uh, after that beginning in July. But today, uh, Genesis chapter 1, when you meet someone for the first time, one common way to get to know them is to ask, so tell me about yourself, what do you do? But you know, telling me what you do is not really telling me about yourself, Now, I understand that that question, what do you do, is intended to simply be a conversation starter, a way to break the ice when you first meet someone, but I also think that there is something deeper behind it, namely this. We tend to define who we are by what we do, or if not defining ourselves by what we do, we may think of who we are by where we fit into demographic categories. Author Hannah Anderson described the issue this way. We try to find identity in things like relationships, jobs, political causes, or hobbies. We check boxes, make lists, and categorize ourselves by race, religion, and socioeconomic status. We calculate our bodies in pounds, inches, and clothing sizes, all in an effort to gain the security that comes from knowing exactly where we are and where we fit into the grand scheme of things. And then she describes herself. After all, if I know that I am a married, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, extroverted, mother of three who studied liberal arts, writes, likes to travel, watches classic movies, and enjoys long walks on the beach, then certainly I must know who I am, right? And then she says, right? (laughs) She goes on to point out that all of us, but women in particular, especially over the last half century with the rise of the feminist movement, have been on a quest to find out who they are. In the words of those great theologians, Supertramp, there are times when all the world's asleep and the questions run too deep for such a simple man. Won't you please, please tell me what we've learned? I know it sounds absurd. Please tell me who I am. This morning I want all of us, but ladies in particular, to see that you are more than what you do and much more than what can be described about you on a census form. And only when you understand and embrace that do all of the other pieces of your life fit together. Let's bow and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we thank You for this day, and we thank You for the focus of this day first and always upon You, and then upon the ladies that You have blessed us with. We ask You, Lord, for all of us, men and women alike, to give now our attention to what You say in Your Word about who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and the change that that should make for all of us in the vocations to which you have placed us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our culture encourages us to define ourselves by categories, and so we're Native American, Hispanic American, or some other hyphenated American. When we go to college, there are women's studies, African American studies, These are all important, but they should not be the only things we see clearly about ourselves or even the first things that we think of. What we need to see is the big picture, and when we understand the big picture, it's then that the details finally make sense. So you should have received an outline when you came in to the auditorium this morning, and I say, first of all there, that a woman's identity is for God. For my gender and my role and my characteristics and my life in general to make sense, I need to know what it is I am here for. And really, it's not what I'm here for, but ultimately, it is who I'm here for. The Bible says, from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Clearly then, men, women, children, and everything are for God. But let's see more specifically what we do for God. The Bible says, whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That raises the question then, what do we mean when we talk about the glory of God? As I've explained over the years and even as recently as in last week's Making Peace class, glory is one of those church words that's always the right answer, but we don't always know what it means. So what is God's glory? God's glory, as many of you have heard me say, is simply put, the display of His character. And so we see in a passage like Romans 3.23, it defines sin as failing to be like God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God has to do with His character, what He is like, who He is. Sin, then, is failure to be like God in what we think and in what we say and in what we do. And God has created the world to show us something of what He is like. And that's why the psalmist said famously in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. We see the the power of God in creation, but also the beauty and the order and the symmetry of the ordered God who made the universe. So God does what He does because He is who He is, and He desires and He deserves to have an appropriate response. And that appropriate response is to be worship, praise, with both our lips and with our lives. And so we have what we call the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now that's filled with the word praise. And in Scripture, that word is related to glorify. We glorify, we we praise God in response to the display of His character. And that's why it's called the doxology, because the Greek word in your New Testament for doxa is glory, glorify, praise. And that's because the first way to bring glory to God is by praising Him for who He is and what He has done. And so the psalmist says this, ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The first way that we bring glory to God is by praising Him for who He is and for what He has done. But the second way is this, we imitate who He is. Of course, it's been said, rightly, that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and God wants to see His character, what He is like, imitated. We see God's desire for His own glory at the very beginning of history in creation. And that's why I've asked you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Please look at verse 27. God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Now, please notice this. Notice that our identity is first humanity, mankind made in God's image, before we're distinguished as male and female. That is, our primary, our first identity is not even as men and women, but as humans, as image bearers. Whether male or female, we have that in common. And that's why the Bible says that in Christ, there is no, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when you look at the about section of a person's blog or their Facebook page, it's always filled with demographic and biographical stuff like married, children, single, hobbies, favorite movies and music. We don't say in describing ourselves human, but if we're not careful, our humanity gets lost in the diversity. Genesis 127 is the about me section that God has written for us. And in his About Me section, it starts with human, image bearer. You are not first a woman, you are first a human image bearer of God. You are not first a list of checkboxes, what you do, how you look, your marital status, your likes and dislikes. You are part of God's unique creation, made in his image, and called to reflect that image. So, what is this image? And what does it mean to me? What does it mean to us practically? The image of God in humanity means that we reflect God. God is so intent on having his character displayed that he made humanity in his image to see his reflection in his highest creatures, humanity. And this reflection is not a physical resemblance because the Bible is clear that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But rather, the image of God is person, a personal and a moral resemblance. To God. It's personal in that we have the components of personhood, just as God is a person, and those components of mind, will, and emotion, of thinking, of choosing, and feeling. It's moral in that we have the capacity to reflect God's moral character. When we glorify Him, we're reflecting God back to God in the way we think and talk and act. So it means you and I, all of us, were made to be a mirror of God. And he wants to see his reflection in that mirror everywhere. And that's why the Bible tells us in this opening chapter, be fruitful and increase in number. Clothing stores, retail clothing stores often place lots of mirrors inside them so that you can get a glimpse of how you look and then hopefully buy something to rectify the situation. (laughs) And God has His mirrors everywhere in the form of humanity to see His own image in us. And that our identity is first for God means at least a couple of things. First of all, your role is not your identity. We were made to reflect God's image, God's character, at all times and in all circumstances. This now begins to fit all the compartments of our lives together, work and home, leisure and finance, health and church. In all of these, I'm to praise God for what He is like, and I'm to imitate what God is like in each of these areas, in every area. But the mirrors are are broken. We're still mirrors. But what we reflect is distorted and so instead of mirrors in the store we are mirrors like those you see at the carnival you can still see it's you but it's a distorted image the entrance of sin into god's good world means that people no longer accurately reflect his character and so he made it for that reason it made us that way for that reason it's not happening that way so what is the solution. God has chosen to use the gospel message to transform people. He created us to reflect him and in the gospel he is recreating us to reflect him. And that's why Romans 8 says he predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. We should all be encouraged friends that if you belong to Jesus Christ what is said there in Romans 8:29 Will be done because God has determined that it will. When it says He predestined in that verse, it means God determined this would happen before. That's the pre. Beforehand, your destiny was decided by God before He created the world. And we see that in other passages in the Word of God. Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote Romans chapter 8, he also wrote Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Now that raises a question, since before the beginning of time, God was the only being in existence, to whom is He making a promise? Well, we have that same phrase, before the beginning of time, used in the opening chapter of another book in your New Testament, and this is what it says. Again, Paul writing 2 Timothy, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us, now notice, given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. It appears that God the Father promised to God the Son, Christ Jesus, a people of His very own before the beginning of time. And that is why Jesus said when He walked the earth, This is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those He has given me, but raise them up on the last day. If you are a Christian today, it's because you came to Jesus Christ at a point in time And that happened because God made a promise before time. And having saved you, He's in the process of sanctifying you, which means making you more like Jesus. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, We reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. That's God's, that's the big picture. That's why God made his world. That's why God made you as he did in his image. That's the work that he is carrying out in you, in all of us that belong to him. And in turn, that connects everything else we do together, including what we call the Great Commission, the mission that God has given his people to carry out in his world. The reason that God gave the Great Commission is because. The message that goes forth through it turns mouths and lives that now curse and rebel against Him into mouths and lives that praise and serve Him. And so as one has said, evangelism exists where worship does not. God made us to worship Him, to praise Him, to reflect Him back to Him. And any place where that's not happening, then evangelism needs to go forth. God's desire for universal worship requires this worldwide mission. The reason for which you were saved is to worship God because He is worthy. The passage that was read earlier in our service says, "...in love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, but here's why all of that, to the praise of His glorious grace." And the passage goes on. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Notice again, to the praise of His glory. And this mission that God is on and has commissioned us to is for a world that praises and imitates Him. And it will be successful. In the last book of the Bible, we're given a glimpse of the universal worship of God. Revelation chapter 5, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand. Times 10,000, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. All of this, friends, the big picture that fits everything together means that your role, whatever it is, but today on Mother's Day specifically, understand that your first role is not as a mother to children, but as a child of God yourself. Your role is not your identity. And your situation is not your identity. We tend to take on our circumstance as our identity. And so, if I struggle with drinking, I say I'm an alcoholic. And that becomes the way I identify myself. If I've been divorced, I say I'm a divorcee. And that becomes the way I identify myself. But you see, you should lead with who you really are first. Certainly in your thinking, and I recommend actually in your words as well in order to reinforce that. So instead of I'm an alcoholic, it's I'm a child of God who struggles with alcohol. Instead of I'm a a divorcee, it's I'm a child of God, His image bearer who has been divorced. My identity is that I'm God's image bearer, whether I'm single, whether I'm married, whether I have children, whether I do not, whether I'm widowed, whether I'm empty nest whatever it is. And consider this, if my situation becomes my identity then what happens when I don't have it anymore? What happens when I can't do it anymore? Those who have made their careers their lives, when they lose that for whatever reason because they've aged and they can't do it as well or because the company is downsizing and they can't do it at all, when they lose that They still exist, but it's as if their life is over because they're given given themselves to their circumstance. But when your identity is grounded in your relationship with God, it's rooted in something that will never change. Everything around you can change. Every person around you can change. All of the stuff on your demographic sheet can change. But your relationship with God never does. And it's not performance based. The relationship is not maintained by how well you do. How well you do is not the determ- determination, if you focus on your relationship with God, of your well being. Your acceptance by God is in Christ and not in your performance. And so, ladies, but all of us, remember that your identity is for God, and a woman's calling is by God. Several years ago, there was a best-selling book called, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. In that book, author John Gray highlighted the many profound differences between men and women, And as you see in the title, he suggested that we're so different that it's like we're from different planets. Now, of course, there are many and profound differences between the sexes, but the the Bible's teaching is that what unites us is more basic and primary than what makes us different. And so I've titled this message, if you look at the top of the outline, men are from Israel, women are from Moab. To emphasize that we are indeed from the same planet, number one, and we must purpose as men and women to be seen like a Boaz and a Ruth, and that's where the Israel and Moab come from, from the book of Ruth. Now, I wish that title were my creation, but it actually comes from a book that's on my shelf by that title. And we too sometimes overemphasize the differences between men and women while failing to focus on our common bond, which is the image of God. So we say things like, you wouldn't understand, it's a guy thing or a girl thing. I'm thankful for the robust ministry that we have here at our church targeted to women. We have Heart to Heart that meets the second and fourth Mondays of each month for all ladies. We have Entrusted that meets every Friday Friday morning. Entrusted is going to be concluding for the summer in just a couple of weeks. Heart to Heart is taking the month of May off and then starting up again in June. So ladies, I make you aware of that. Entrusted will start up again in September. But it's been a great year of ministry to our ladies and I'm glad we have those ministries. But those targeted demographic ministries are built on the foundation of our common calling to be His people as men and women. To be sure, God calls us to specific stations in life to reflect His character within those. But whether you are married or single or you have children or not, our first calling is to God and secondarily to others. Our first calling is to God and secondarily to others. Remember, Jesus said there are two great commandments and he prioritized them as first and second. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. All the law. And the prophets hang on these two commandments. We focus on our horizontal relationships. Rather than recognizing that the horizontal is controlled by and secondary to the vertical, love others is second to love God. Love others flows from the fact that we love God. What we must do is see our station in life as arranged and designed by God and pursue our purpose of reflecting Him in it, whatever it is. And so, ladies, if you're not married, you have not missed your calling. If you do not have children, you have not missed your calling. That's because your calling is to Jesus. And whether you're single or married or you have children is simply the way you carry out that calling to glorify God. And the Apostle Paul underscored the relative unimportance of our situation when he said in 1 Corinthians 7, each of you should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Notice the situation is not the most important thing. Whether it changes or not, you can still fulfill your primary calling to glorify God by serving Him. A woman's identity is for God. Her calling is by God. And a woman's life is from God. One of the things that women and men struggle with is contentment. And part of the reason for that is we define our lives by something other than our relationship with Christ. We see that in a story in the life of Jesus from Luke chapter 10. The Bible says, as Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It's always a mistake when you're ordering Jesus around. And here's Jesus' response, Martha, Martha. And you're always in trouble when Jesus says your name twice as well. You are worried and upset about many things but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. Martha was distracted by good things, but distracted from the most important thing. You can run yourself ragged on that performance hamster wheel. Your life becomes one endless series of tasks that when done need to be done again. You never seem to be getting anywhere, and you believe... You're only as good as your last deed that elicited an attagirl. You and those around you can develop an attitude that grounds your well-being in what you've done lately. Remember, only Jesus performed perfectly, and our perfection is found in being united with Him. So, thanks be to God, you can get off the hamster wheel of meeting demands made by others in close proximity to you or in the culture around you. One of our young ladies in our church wrote a blog entry years ago. and It was a blog entry of advice that she would give to a young girl, giving her what the Lord had taught her. She said this, Although she would never believe me, I'd tell her she is beautifully and wonderfully made that those are the words of our maker. I'd tell her to put the scale away, throw away those magazines, stop fantasizing about the day her crash diets would pay off and she would be beautiful and all the boys would finally see it. Her beauty never was and never will come from her hair, her skin, or her belly. The way her belly sits on her jeans will never and could never decide her value. I'd beg her to see that her beauty is Christ. Her worth is Christ abundant, marvelous, and full. I'd warn her about the storms ahead and the loneliness and depression she'd feel. The waves would be strong and they would pull her under. I'd plead that she wouldn't rely on her own strength to stop the wind and the rain. Jesus is in control and is strong for her when she is weak, and that will be often. When you mess up, run as fast as you can to God. Run to the cross regardless of what you've done. Do not let sin hide in dark corners of your heart. Let Jesus sink your sin to the bottom of the ocean and clean you white as snow. The weight of shame you bear is one that Jesus is willing to take and is still was willing to take and is still willing to take. Realize that and cling to the holy cross that displays his deep deep love for you. Don't let this world tell you what love is. Read about love in the Gospel of John. Take notes. This is love. Hunger after it. Savor it. Know it. You're not who you think you are. You are not your sin. You are not your shame. You are not who the world tells you you are. You are Jesus's. And that means you're washed, sanctified, justified. Let that truth resonate on lonely nights when you can't seem to quite shaming yourself for existing. Take his hand and let him guide you. Talk with him always because he knows more about this life than I do. Think about me when you get down. Think about how my heart is still beating because his heart started beating again and still beats today for little girls like you. Remember always the hope that there is for me because that means there's still hope for you. Little nine-year-old broken-hearted girl and for all the others. In all of that, it assumes, and in all that I have said, it assumes that we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so on this Mother's Day, I want to call every mother, father, every man, every woman, every teenager, every person here, to where all of this begins. God made us, for the purpose that we've outlined in the message. God is remaking us through Jesus Christ and through his gospel. So how does that become how does that become yours? You realize that that's your situation. You realize that you are a sinner. And sin is failing to think and speak and act like God. And all of us have done that and if you think that you're not a sinner then Let's take it a little bit further. The Bible also teaches that it's not in just the things that we actively think and say and do. It's in the things that we omit, not just what we commit. There are sins of omission, things that I should say and things that I should think and things that I should do that I fail in those. And so in all of those, I fail to be like God. You have failed to be like God. Realize that you are indeed a sinner who does not accurately reflect The character of God as you were made to do, but recognize that Jesus is that solution. In His life and in His death, He lived the life that you were made to live. He died the death that all of us deserve, paying the penalty in full for our sin, past, present, and future, and you repent. You recognize that my life has all kinds of stuff in it. I can't even remember it and I couldn't even number it because if it's in my thinking and in my words. It's all too numerous to enumerate. If I go to a confessional booth, I would, I would take eternity for me to lay it out. It's impossible for me to enumerate all of my sin, right? But I repent of my sin as a whole package. Lord, I'm going to go your way now, not my way. I've changed my thinking toward myself and toward you and toward my purpose and toward those around me. That's what repent means, a change of mind that leads to a change of life. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. And when you do that, He starts His reclamation project on you, His restoration project, recreating you into His image. Doesn't happen overnight, to be sure. Won't happen completely this side of heaven, but it happens most certainly over time, month by month, year by year. And He's inviting you now to that. And so we're going to pray in just just a moment. And when we do, I invite you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and begin your new life in Him with your brand new identity in Him. Now, here's your take-home truth then. Women like men find their fulfillment only in Christ. And I mentioned Hannah Anderson's book, Made for More, at the beginning of the message. Ladies, we've purchased a few dozen of Hannah's book at $11 each. They're available today in our resource center for $5. I feel like I'm a salesman when I'm saying that, but they are heavily discounted for you, and they are in our resource center, and we recommend it to you. Let's bow before the Lord. Our Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for this day because it is the Lord's day, and it represents on the first day of the week the risen Lord, whose heart did indeed begin to beat again, and who is alive and at the right hand of the Father and is coming again. Lord, we have full confidence in that. We have full confidence that our salvation has been completely accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was indeed finished on that cross. And God the Father recognized the the full value of all that the Lord Jesus Christ did in His earthly ministry and signified such by raising Him from, from the dead. And so we thank You, Lord, that our life is found in Jesus, our justification is found in Him, that we are declared righteous before You even though we are not because Jesus was. And so we can stand before You and come before Your throne with confidence because Jesus is our high priest. And Lord, that started at a point in time for me at age 19, at a point in time for every person here. But Lord, we would ask you to graciously move on the hearts of some in this room who came in not knowing you as their Savior and bowing their lives before you as Lord. And call them to yourself as well. May this be the day of their spiritual birthday and begin your restoration project in them. And then, Lord, add their voice and add their life to those who are bringing glory to you, in all that they say, in all that they do, in all that they think. And we'll give you the praise for accomplishing this. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, just before we stand and we're dismissed with a closing song, we have two ladies who are going to uh, look to join our church. So, a few ladies will come forward. And this is Debbie Wotilko. <laughs> I've got a pronunciation key here on my... <laughs> Debbie Wotilko, and this is Yun Suk. And they are each presenting themselves for membership in our church. And uh, they've each been coming for several months. And Yun Suk found us through one of our members, Yula. Yula told, told Yun about our, about our church and then you found us online, right, You've, uh, live streaming. Yeah, so we've had a number of people who through the pandemic were looking for a church, went on live stream, found us, and the Lord has brought them. So we're delighted, and we've been delighted to get to know you, and we've heard their testimony of salvation. Now, Debbie is going to be joining us uh, pending uh, baptism in August. Yunsuk Suk has already been baptized, so just making you aware of that. But we've heard their testimony of salvation, They have signed our membership covenant, and we are recommending them for membership. So all in favor, signify by saying amen. 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 And any opposed would say no. And no one is saying no, so that's a good thing. Let's stand and be dismissed with our closing song. Welcome, ladies.